You're listening to the Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Bible for Normal People. Our topic today is a conversation about inspiration, and our guest is Joe Gordon. He teaches at Johnson University. Yeah, and he wrote a book called Divine Scripture in Human Understanding, and it, trying to try to create a theology of the Christian Bible, and, and that's, a, that's a tall order. Yeah. That's a difficult task. So, we talk about some of these big picture things that maybe we've talked about or touched on in the past, like inspiration, you know, what is the Bible, what do we do with it? So, it's a good conversation to, to, to draw out what are some of the issues and some of the challenges right. that we run into if we let the Bible be what it is. Yeah, and still think of it as somehow inspired, and that's a, a, a tricky term, and, and maybe we have to learn to define words like that very differently than we were raised to do. So, so this is a, I mean, this is a conversation that doesn't end, folks. This is like, what is the Bible and what do we do with it? This is just another angle of coming at it. And and uh, yeah, it's it's a conversation that doesn't end. Yeah, and it's a good voice to have uh, as part of that conversation. So let's jump in with Joe Gordon. Folks interpreting scripture, the, the ones who do it the best, I think are not fundamentally interested in exclusively interpreting scripture. They're instead interested in knowing God, knowing themselves, and knowing history. They're interested in, in discerning what God might be doing. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and she said, can I try some? And so I, I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Well, welcome, Joe, to our podcast. Great to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So where are you now? Uh, what I, state are you in? I am in uh, the lovely state of Tennessee, just south of ah. Knoxville, Tennessee. Are you staying isolated and socially distanced? I am yeah. very isolated in East Tennessee, yes. Yes. Can it get more isolated? I right? I think it would be kind of hard to, actually. We're out yeah. in the middle of uh, in the wilderness. 
Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. So, well, listen, uh, we are really excited to talk with you about the Bible because that's sort of what we do here. And, you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast, they listen because they struggle with the Bible and how to wrap their heads around big concepts like what does it even mean to talk about this thing as the Word of God or anything? Or what do you mean by inspired? And I read it and it's just sort of difficult and weird and ancient and out of touch. And, you know, so maybe let's let's talk about this thing first. You You wrote a book and, you know, we can talk about that later. But, you know, when you think about topics like the Bible and how inspiration works, I think oftentimes people are trying to speak into something that they see could be done better. You know, so like there's there's a problem they're trying to solve. So w- what would you say is the problem that you're trying to get a handle on in your book? So it's a, it's a long journey, and I'll, I will shorten it for the sake of time. But I uh, grew up, at least from middle school on, in a church context, a, a Christian church. And I came to love Scripture through that experience. I had some calling to ministry and so I went to a Bible college, and one of the stated goals I had whenever I went to the school that I went to was to get the Bible right, because I had seen so many people, I thought, get it wrong. Uh, so I was going to take my two years of Hebrew, two and a half years of <laughs> Greek, and uh, courses surveying basically most everything in both Testaments, and I was going to get it right. And I had such a wonderful experience at that, uh, that school, Johnson Bible College was the name of it then, now it's Johnson University, where I teach, by the way, I discovered so many things about Scripture in its richness and its humanity, but it raised a lot of theological questions for me that I couldn't answer solely on the basis of my work with the languages and uh, in those survey and exegesis courses. So then I sort of jumped ship in graduate school and went to theology specifically. And long story short, I could not get away from the questions that I had about Scripture, about what its purpose was, uh, about how it could both reflect the rich, very diverse humanity of its many authors and also still be received as a gift from God with a message from God. The questions just kept coming back to me, Uh, so then when it came time for me to write my doctoral dissertation, uh, that's what I focused on. I wanted to focus on how to interpret Scripture responsibly, but I discovered there's a problem uh, that I faced at first, and that was I should get an account of what the Bible is down before I move on to questions about what to do with it. Sounds simple enough. Right. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, 430 short pages later, I have, I have offered one articulation of, of the nature and purpose of Scripture. What I try to do, what I hope that I've done, is give an account of uh, Scripture that both measures up to its rich, diverse, sometimes even strange, perplexing humanity— Uh, but also finds a way to receive it as a gift from God for God's work in the world, uh, for God's people. So that's what that's what the book that that you've mentioned is is all about. Okay. Well, okay. let's let's jump right in because this language of I'm, I'm not going to let you off the hook with yeah. the language of don't. a gift. F- not letting yeah. you off the hook, Joe. Don't uh, don't let gift. me off the hook. 
<laughs> we're not. Oh, we we will not. Well, Don't you worry. I'm in Go it ahead. much more nicely than than <laughs> Pete is, is stating that. But you know, the, this idea of receiving it as a gift from God mm-hmm. that evokes this language of, in my tradition, would have been inspiration. That somehow it's inspired from God, mm-hmm. and whatever we mean by that, that it comes from God. Mm-hmm. It's received as a gift. So what you talked about the the diversity and the richness of the diversity. How do you square a book that comes from God with diversity? That, that's well, sort of his whole book. Yeah, it's, it, exactly. <laughs> it, it really is the whole book. It, it really is the whole book. Um, it's a great question. Well, I'm just before you answer, because I want to just echo what Jared's saying from a slightly different perspective. For a lot of people, that is the question, because you're taught that inspiration has to mean a certain kind of thing, and then you read the Bible, and you don't find that thing there at all. Mm-hmm. You find something – you find historical particularity. You find mm-hmm. context. You find – contradictions, tensions, diversity, multiple voices. And I mean, that that is a great topic to be thinking about because that's, I mean, a lot of people struggle with any sense of respect for scripture when they see it acting in a certain way. So yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of maybe, uh, you know, another angle of coming at that. So go ahead. Yeah. Explain it. Answer it. A- answer it. Right. So this is just a systematic theology of the Christian Bible. Very important to acknowledge it is a, not the systematic theology of the Christian Bible. Um, but, but the question of inspiration is a really, really important question. What God does in creation is call something into being that's not God, that is enormously diverse uh, and strange uh, and challenging. Um, and so, I don't see the uh, diversity and strangeness and challengingness of Scripture as different than that, uh, although it is different than, uh, than, than creation. But you noted that, that people have often received an idea of in- inspiration, and then they come to Scripture and they discover that it doesn't behave, uh, to use language that Pete has used, in the ways that they have been taught to expect it to behave. Well, there's a simple solution for that. Come up with a better understanding of inspiration uh, don't, don't, don't have bad understandings of inspiration. And, and the starting place for that is from within Christian theological uh, tradition, uh, which is where I, I start the book, um, understanding that everything that is uh, in creation comes from God. Uh, and Scripture is a thing among those created things coming from God. And so, it makes perfect sense for it to reflect other kinds of characteristics that you would expect of created realities. The diversity, again, the challenging, perplexing Mm -hmm. strangeness. So, a further way to think fruitfully about inspiration, uh, instead of insisting that its authors are puppets or marionettes that are being moved to and fro by God, which is, is a common idea of inspiration in, in church history, we could in, instead think of it within the, uh, an account of the broader mission of the Holy Spirit. Um, instead of trying to nail it down as a certain kind of thing that comes from God in a certain kind of way, we could ask questions about what the Holy Spirit is characteristically up to, what, what the Spirit is interested in, uh, what the Spirit's ends and goals are. Um, and of course, you know, there's a rich witness to uh, the Spirit's work and the Spirit's goals uh, in both Testaments. Uh, so, that's one of the ways that I 
I try to uh, approach the challenge. So, uh, the spirit, more than just like inspiring the Bible in some ill-defined way, it's working within these weird contours of the Bible, like respecting mm-hmm. all that stuff we talked about before? Okay. Yes. Well, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so it's in some ways, what I'm hearing you say, I want to try to articulate this. On the one hand, we have what I, what I would say maybe kind of the natural the natural theology of the Bible. And in my tradition, we would have separated it out. Like, the Bible is special revelation. God somehow, like, special language and word. It's different from how God reveals God's self, say, in nature and all of these other ways. But I hear you conf- putting those together and saying, hey, everything that God makes is God's, and all of that is part of creation, and the Bible fits in within that. And and so, what, mm-hmm. you know, how do we, why would we separate this special thing out when it's all part of the creation? And then secondly, I hear not only that, but there's almost, I, I don't want to use, put words in your mouth so you can correct me, but from my perspective and kind of my training, almost like a pragmatic understanding that we actually, you said, first, let's get what the Bible is down then let's figure out what we do with it. Mm-hmm. But when we take a more spiritual or spirit-based understanding, it's almost what's the spirit doing with it is actually more of the starting place. Yeah, you you could see what the spirit is doing with it as the starting place. There, you can get into other other problems if uh, if that's the the primary mode of of approach. So I, I take other ones besides that, but but it is very practically focused. Um, in that famous text in Second Timothy, uh, whether Paul or somebody else wrote it, it doesn't matter as much to me, but it's still an important uh, canonized, inspired text. We, we read, all Scripture is God-breathed, theopneustos is the Greek word, and useful, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. The author of that text doesn't define what it means for Scripture to be God-breathed. Unless we see usefulness as it's uh, as part of it, a definition for it, and and then the question is, well, what is it useful for? And and that's where uh, my discussion of the characteristic work of the Holy Spirit comes in. Uh, it's useful for the kinds of things that that God's Spirit intends to to do in the world. So, and then uh, again, that gets filled in from a, a number of other different angles. Well, I think that's important, and the reason I, I make that point is because there's this. it seems to be there's an assumption that we have to figure out what the Bible is in some abstract way, and, and that's a very Western way of thinking about the world. Like, let's figure it out in some objective, non-biased, uh, impartial sense, and then we can figure out how to apply it. And uh, I just think there's some there's some merit to saying, well, what about how do we use it as being more of the starting place and not being so concerned with what is it in some abstract sense? And so, I, I appreciate what you're saying. I hear the sense of what, what is it useful for? How is the Spirit of God using this tool, maybe one of many, many tools that the Spirit of God is using in the world, and how do we begin to kind of catch that train and ride it? Yeah, yeah, that's nicely put. I do want to say, though, I am not uh, wholly opposed to abstraction uh, or even uh, an ideal of objectivity. That some of the other things that you 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 just mentioned, I uh, I don't care for philosophically. But I think that objectivity is possible. 
It's not possible through the removal of biases, though. It's not possible apart from subjectivity. Objectivity, or getting things right, actually is a result of being a certain kind of person, a, a transformed, change kind of person who wonders and raises questions and seeks out answers to those questions and defers to the wisdom of, of communities. That's what I think ob- objectivity results from. I, I don't actually... I want to make a stronger claim than that. It's not just that I think that's what objectivity results from. That's what ob- objectivity results from. It, so there's, there's a, a sense of in which we need the diversity of different contexts in order to get to this objectivity. Is that an implication of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. It, it is. We need every resource uh, that we can avail ourselves of to get to, get to the objectivity, uh, to get to the truth. So and and it's and I would argue that the drive towards that the desire for that is actually built into our nature. It's something that God it's another gift that God gives to us. God intends for us to know, to grow, to wonder, to raise questions, uh to have insights, to be transformed, to transcend our limited perspectives as we encounter Uh, and raise questions and grow Mm -hmm. in our understanding. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in, and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We love the process. This spring, they have their best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for All People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener to the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world 
and all of our work here at the Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Well, okay, so here's here's something that I can hear people wanting, wondering about how you process something here. How how does you know the the world of modern biblical scholarship, which has been around for you know two three hundred years, maybe four hundred years, depending on how you look at it, has really dug into history and tried to uncover what happened and things like that. Can, can that be how valuable is that, or can that be valuable when you turn to the topic of the Bible being inspired, or are they just at odds? You know, because modern biblical scholarship does tend to see problems and to peel those problems apart and to give explanations for why this is such a problem. And that seems to be not really consistent with thinking of the Bible as something that the eternal infinite spirit of God would have inspired. How do you bring, can you bring those two worlds together? Yeah, well, the only way to do it is very carefully, and uh, I can't say that that I think I've done so either personally, uh, especially not in in the book itself. Uh, w- what I hope for the book is more modest, that it provides a basis for thinking fruitfully about the the uh, results of historical critical work, for evaluating them. Historical critics, of course, are people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, despite what you might think, uh, you, know, <laughs> go, you know, going to the SBL and seeing all these strange... Right. I mean, have you spent a lot of time with Pete or... <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I mean, they're, they're, they're people. They have concerns and worries and, and questions and desires and fundamental commitments, both stated and unstated. And an interesting thing about biblical scholarship is many folks get into it out of a desire to uh, enrich and enhance their faith, and then they bump into that problem that we've already identified. They discover that Scripture doesn't actually match up with the ideal of inspiration that they've received, and then all sorts of things can happen in a a person's personal journey there. But uh, what often has happened uh, is that folks leave they leave their, their faith. They leave specific communities that they had prior recognized as enriching their lives, and they move into other ones, maybe other religious communities, maybe other Christian denominations or, or churches, or maybe they leave uh, entirely. And that needs to be, that needs attention. That, that should be considered carefully and reflected on. Um, by somebody like me who is, aspires to, to try to understand Scripture as a gift from God, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody feels like they can receive it that way um, because of personal, you know, personal histories with it. Uh, but, but I think it's possible, well, first of all, I think it's absolutely necessary to affirm the authentic advances in understanding that historical criti- critical work has made. There's just no question about that. I was a little bit alarmed by many of, of those things whenever I was an undergraduate student, you know, uh, studying the languages for the first time, being taken aback by uh, discovering ancient Near Eastern parallels to uh, the creation accounts in Genesis, for instance. 
um, you know, that, that, was, that was jarring to me, but uh, once I started making those connections personally, I had to, I had to deal with those things. Uh, but the way in which I have personally dealt with them is to press deeper into the questions. So maybe I received, um, I, I don't even know that I could say somebody gave me an understanding of inspiration that I had that I took. I ha- so I had some understanding of inspiration that, that didn't work out anymore. But I could still, from where I was, uh, appreciate Scripture uh, and wonder, is there a better way to to think about this? Uh, mm-hmm. Is there a better way to 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 wonder about inspiration? Um, are there there better ways of formulating it? And then that opens you up to two thousand years of Christian reflection right. on those those things. Hi, everybody. My name is Chrissy Florence from Los Angeles, and I am part of the Producers Group. I first discovered Pete and Jared's work when my young daughter's love of dinosaurs required me to look at many things in a new way. This journey has been both challenging and beautiful, and I am so grateful for this podcast. The scholarship, the diversity of voices, the humor, all combined with a reverence for the faith. Also, it helps me to know that I am not alone. If this podcast has helped you too, for as little as $1 a month, you can be part of the group that makes it possible. Just head over to patreon.com slash the Bible for normal people. There are videos, discussion groups, Marmalade the Cat, (laughs) and much more. I'd like to thank a handful of my fellow producers, including Hardin Wood, Paul Mark, Angela Smith, Rob Buckingham, Kendall Miller, Miles Dance, Lori Volke, Marlon Wall, and Matt Stein. Thanks, guys. The Bible for normal people could not happen without you. And now back to the podcast. Well, that's, I mean, that was going to be my next sort of point to discuss with you to, have you, to, to see what you have to say about this whole history of the church. And I know that you press really far back yeah. to, to, for, to, for conversation partners, I guess we could put it. And uh, you mentioned a, a big issue for you seems to be something called the rule of faith. Yeah. So can you can you explain that and and what that means and how something like really ancient can maybe even fit into discussions we're having today, which are not just modern but you know postmodern. postmodern. Yep, we're all over the place, right? So, yeah, we yeah, are. Go ahead. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So what I argue in the book is that in order to understand scripture, we need to locate it, and I, I locate it in a, in a variety of locations. The second chapter locates Scripture historically within the, the developing faith of the earliest Christians. Right, so, the New Testament Christians are people too, right, with their own mm-hmm. uh, cares and concerns and questions and commitments. And among those commitments, most fundamental is the belief that the God of Israel has done something alarmingly new through Jesus of Nazareth, uh, through, through his son. And then that, that newness continues uh, through the work of the Spirit of God in the early Christian communities. Um, and so, peppered throughout the New Testament are, are uh, pretty alarming confessions about this. Uh, confessions comparing Christ's work to uh, the revelatory work of God in the Old Testament 
through the prophets and saying that something new is here. And the early church maintains the same kinds of commitments that God has done this new thing through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. And it is pondering that and reflecting on that. And, and it does so for the rest of Christian history. But the rule of faith is a key moment in that development. Um, it's an attempt to assemble those various convictions about the work of God in history in a concise, straightforward way. So the rule of faith basically is a confession. Often it's Trinitarian, confession in the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is a key feature in a lot of early Christian literature that sort of stands in as a summary of what Christians believe. And it's earlier than the canon. It's earlier than mm -hmm. uh, the completion, so to speak, or, or the gathering or the publication of, of the Bible itself. So there's a, a German scholar who I quote in the book, and he, he writes something very striking. The earliest Christian martyrs died for their faith in Christ without ever having held a New Testament in their hands. Hmm. They had this faith, and this faith they articulated, they organized the, their beliefs in, in a rule, uh, the rule of faith, and it served as an orienting context for their engagement with Scripture, first with the Old Testament, um, the ancient Jewish Scriptures, and then uh, later even with their engagement with the New Testament. Uh, but they were interpreting Scripture, which was itself being effectively assembled, in light of their belief in what God had done in the world through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Um, so, the payoff of this is that the Bible is located in the work of God in history. Historically, that was the case for the earliest church, and it's been the case ever since then. Um, so, in order to know what Scripture is, it needs to be located in the work of God in history. What's the uh, impact of that? Because I'm thinking about, okay, so... I'm thinking about First John, which is kind of like what we've seen, what we've heard. That's what we're proclaiming to you. And so there's this personal experience with the divine that ended up being codified in our in our New Testament. <clears throat> and then I think of the history of the church, and there's lots of experiences. And so where does the Bible fit in terms of? I mean, I, the ultimate question I'm going to ask is, you know, what makes the Bible unique or exclusive in this way, or or is it set aside? next to these other experiences of God that we have throughout history of pers people's personal experiences with, with Jesus. And eh, so, yeah, that's, I, I think that's my question of like, what's the uniqueness now of our Bible and how do we interplay that with people's personal stories that I, I would argue, like, it's really important to read St. Teresa of, of Avila and, and her experiences of God as well alongside our, our New Testament. I would agree uh, that it's important to read Teresa and, uh, you know, countless other major spiritual giants, theological giants, saints, who themselves were reading Scripture. Uh, part, part of its uniqueness is that this is simply the collection of texts that Christians are, have been receiving and will continue to receive uh, as long as Christian faith exists. 
so the uniqueness is um, it, it's not something that can be pinned down, I think, just as the uniqueness of inspiration can't be pinned down. Because, like, you know, we, we keep talking about the Bible, right? Um, mm-hmm. But what canon are we talking about right now? Um, You both are, uh, I think uh, you both hail from Protestant traditions, so uh, I do as well. So we've got 66 books, but I know that there are Catholics who are Christians and Eastern Orthodox who are Christians and Taiwahedo Ethiopic Orthodox who are Christians, and their Bibles are all bigger than ours. So one of the things I try to do in the book is try to give an account of Scripture that can... Handle that. Yeah, that can handle that, that that can somehow respect Christian practice and use of Scripture with a Bible that, to be honest, looks quite a bit different than my own. Well, I appreciate you even saying that because it it does, for me, resonate that maybe something I haven't really given a lot of consideration, but even St. Teresa or whoever else we're talking about, what were they using to shape, what shaped their experience of God would have been the Bible. That would have been Mm -hmm. often the constructs and language that they would have had available to them to make meaning of these other experiences. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hans Fries argued that the, that the world was enclosed in Scripture before modernity, and the various mm-hmm. you know, images and symbols and ideas throughout Scripture really just shaped Eastern and uh, especially Western culture, Western thought, especially for those folks, of course, who were devoted monks and sisters and priests now, there are lots of, as you both well know, very unsavory things in those histories, um, but there's richness in, in those histories. And that's one of the things that, um, that I have appreciated, uh, especially uh, the more I've studied the history of Christian interpretation of scriptures. How many folks um, have done it well, um, have, have discerned how the Spirit might be usefully using it in their own midst, in their own communities, in their own lives. Yeah, I mean, because there are, I mean, creative approaches to handling the Bible because it's forming their reality. It's it's not an abstract thing. You sort of, it's not a book you 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 learn about. It's it's a it's a book you learn from. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you sometimes have to get really creative with an ancient book that might not speak to somebody living in 650 AD or something like that. Yeah. So it's this it's this tradition that sort of keeps giving cuz people have to access it in certain ways and they have to be creative about it and they can't you know it's not it's not about original meaning or something. It's about how that that book's been yeah. transformed again and again and again in the history of the church. Yeah. Uh, not to put words in your mouth, but that's yeah. what I think you're saying. No, yeah, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Hey, but, 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 I, but I would say even more than that, I mean... Don't get too radical here on us, Joe. Well, I mean, it's, you know... Go ahead. It, it is, you have our permission. It is radical in, uh, in quite a few ways, uh, I think. It's not just that there's this uh, rich history of reflection. It's that folks interpreting Scripture... I think are not fundamentally uh, the, the ones who do it the best interested in exclusively interpreting Scripture. Mm-hmm. They're instead interested in knowing God uh, yeah. and knowing well, knowing yeah. knowing yeah. themselves and knowing history. Uh, knowing and when I say history, I don't just mean you know dates. I don't mean recording one thing after another. 
They're interested in, in discerning uh, what God might be doing in history. So one of the convictions mm-hmm. in, in the rule of faith, I argue, um, is this conviction you could find at the beginning of, of Ephesians. God has made known the mystery of his will, a plan for all times to reconcile all things, whether in heaven and on earth, in Jesus. Um, Christians were reading scripture because it gave them access to an understanding of the reality of that work, mm-hmm. the reality of the mm-hmm. work of God in the world, not just in the past, but in their own time. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at so we're we're getting to I think what the purpose of the Bible is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I mean I think people would like in a way again I don't want to sort of paint a lot of people with one brush but but I've been there too so I understand this to to sort of say well of course we all do that we read the Bible to find out about God. But there are ways of doing that that are not as helpful as opposed to other ways. You know, I want to find out about God, so now I have to have an inerrant Bible because you have to have a Bible that has no tensions in it. Yeah. No, no, none of the messiness, none of the historical weirdness, none of the distance. It has to be very immediately accessible to us in sort of a rational kind of way. But, I, I mean, you, you know much more about this than I do, but the history of the church has largely not been, well, modern, right? Yeah, right. It's, it's, yeah. Been, it's been not very different ways of looking at the Bible and therefore different ways of thinking about its inspired nature. I guess the question is, what is it inspired for? Is it inspired to be historically accurate? Or is it inspired that in the struggle with it, perhaps, another word I'm adding here, but the struggle with it, that we commune with God, and that's the ultimate goal of why you do any of this stuff anyway. Yeah, I would, I would say yes to the latter, but I don't see them as entirely opposed. Now, historical accuracy is, um, you know, that, that's a, a question for uh, multiple other podcast discussions. But Christians have received it as usefully bearing witness to things that God has done in the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- those things that God has done matter. It matters for, for Christian faith whether uh, Christ rose from the dead. I mean, you know, Paul, Paul states this explicitly at the end of 1 Corinthians. Now, what the resurrection actually means is another question. It is I think bodily, if you read the New Testament witnesses, but, you know, I have a body and I can't just show up in a locked room. Mm-hmm. You know, what, whatever happens with, with Jesus, uh, the church testifies very strongly that, that something happens, and that matters for faith. Um, if Christ is not risen, Christian faith is, is in vain, or it needs to be, I would argue, rethought, reconceptualized in a way that doesn't really resemble Christianity anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, what happened matters, but on the other 
side. Um, the the second thing you said, I, I affirm uh, wholeheartedly. So, um, and I'm not <laughs> recalling exactly what your words were, but if you could restate it concisely, then I can respond to it. <laughs> yeah, the, the the idea that the Bible's maybe true purpose, the reason why we read it is to commune with God, and maybe not just like information about God in, an, in a um, sort of a scientific sense or historicistic sense, but it's actually communing with God who's present with you. And that's, and Scripture is, maybe maybe its ultimate purpose is to bring us there. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely is. But the thing is, you know, I mean, I, I agree with that, and I, I to me, that's that's something to strive for. Um, but again, I'm hearing other voices in the back of my head saying there are some things that the modern study of the Bible has brought to the table that calls into question basic historical credibility of things in the Bible. Because I think you put it really well before, like the Bible bears witness like reasonably well to history or something like that. It's not It's not a photo. It's not, yeah. it's not an objective account in the way we usually wor- use the word objective, but it bears witness to historical realities. It just does it in sort of ancient ways or diverse ways, but it's still bearing witness to like, you know, the story of Jesus, for example. And, but, but there are things about critical scholarship, which we can't solve today, but there are things about critical scholarship that people say it's so turned things on its head, like, you know, the history of Pentateuchal scholarship mm-hmm. and how, you know, the law is at the end of the story, not at the beginning. And if that's in any way right, you know, it just raises certain challenges. I'm not saying your paradigm doesn't make sense. I'm just saying, like, I can see questions coming yeah. up. There's, there are places where – now, it might just be that's completely wrong. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's that's not really wrong from from most people's point of view. It's been modified a lot over the past couple hundred years, but – you know, so I, I think, um, yeah, I, I guess it's the, the devil's in the details in a way, you know, working out some of those particular things about scholarship and about other things that, um, uh, you know, sort of continue to nag a little bit yeah. for a lot of people. And people can put that stuff in abeyance. Like, okay, I know that's a problem, but I still have a basic conviction about how the Bible works, and I'm going to live in that reality and I'll work those other things out along the way. Yeah. You know, well, that's not a bad way to live, actually. If, if you're dealing with this kind of stuff, you know, that's, that's another kind of rule of faith, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, well, we're always in the middle. I mean, you mentioned biblical scholarship changing on those issues. You know, the assured results of critical scholarship are not assured. I mean, scholars change perspectives, and, if, if, oh, yeah. and they do it well, even, on the basis of paying attention to things that had been ignored, or even on the basis of, you know, a shepherd boy throwing a rock into a cave at Qumram and finding right. Hebrew texts that are a thousand years older than any we previously had, right? Yeah. Scholarship is, is on the move, and it's like all human knowledge, uh, or like all human disciplines, it's a tangle of both authentic brilliant achievements and ideological distortions held by its practitioners. This is, this is true of all scholarship. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we, we have a, in, in, in our postmodern condition, we have a crisis of authority and the way that modern folks want to 
address it is to just find the right authority and then to defer to that one. But that's irresponsible. You can't do that with biblical scholarship. You can't do that with a history of theological reflection. Uh, You can't do that with modern science, which changes at a much faster rate than any of these fields. Um, The only way to benefit from any of these is uh, to find your way into them, to begin to understand them, to discover what the questions are, mm-hmm. and and learn how to pay attention in the ways that folks who do that work pay attention. And we're always in the middle, as you said. Right. Well, in some ways, it's it's uh, when whenever we adopt a certain end in mind, you know, I think one of the the challenges of of kind of the modern project was assuming that there was this universal end in mind. And so then we construct kind of the way to that end, and then we universalize that. But there is, like you say, you know, different authorities for different objectives and different ways of being in the world, and uh, and so there is a there is a place for scholarship, and the, and it's really important in how we think about that. It lays the groundwork for a lot of things, but it's often not maybe the end. When the end is, for instance, to experience God in a new way then maybe there's other avenues for that as well that we have to sort of see as a, a, an authority and allow for maybe the community, the rule of faith, our own experiences to play a part. Yeah, you, you, have, to, you have to decide how to go on in your life. You have to make decisions. You have to come to convictions. Um, it, it's important. Uh, it's part of maturing, growing up. Again, I think the, the process of maturing is something that God builds into us. Uh, but but that's just part of it is deciding where to stand and and it's tough work. But I actually want to say I'm I'm all about universality, about finding a universal purpose. For me, that just means asking and answering every single legitimate question that arises and can arise in history. Nobody can do that. From a philosophical perspective, it's more work than any one person in history can do. Uh, but there are theological reasons for pursuing a universal end as well, but not the kind that you clearly define and put in a box and set out in front of yourself as a carrot. If that's what you're looking for, you're not looking for God, not in a way that meshes with what any faithful Christian throughout Christian history has has said about that. Oh, you're almost creating a god, right? Exactly. Point. Yeah. Mm. Which yeah. idolatry is a constant danger. I mean, you know, <laughs> in our world, it's um, it's not people making statues, right? Our gods are are very near to us. They're in our pockets, vibrating constantly, uh, sh- showing us all 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 the images that we might want to see. I don't know what you're talking about, Joe. I have us. no idea. Oh, I I think you I think you might have an idea. Oh, uh, yeah. We were arguing about iPhones before, but uh, anyway. Yeah. L- listen, Joe, this is, um, this is a deep topic, and it's one that I think, you know, it's really healthy for people to keep thinking about in their own way. You know, I mean, what is the purpose of the Bible? What does it mean for a Bible to be inspired when you're still looking at all this, the messiness of it, and how can God be found in wrestling with the scripture and reading it. And and I think being in conversation with other people, like you're doing, you know, and like we're doing here with you, but through history, you know, because there's a lot of richness there. People have actually thought about some things before we came on the scene, and that's that's pretty cool. So, yeah, it just in closing, um, just, just your what's the title of your book? 
And where can they get it? Pretty much anywhere, I imagine. Yeah, it's available at all the normal places. Uh, the title is Divine Scripture in Human Understanding, A Systematic Theology of the Christian Bible. Okay. So, uh, Amazon or the University of Notre Dame Press website. Cool. And and is there, if people want to just check out what you're doing and who you are, can they find you online someplace? Or are you one of these academics that keeps away from all those things? Uh, well, I'm mostly I'm mostly off of uh, of social media, but I did just reopen uh, Twitter. Oh um, no! It's really just it's just dedicated to. I don't want to rethink uh, that. Anyway, <laughs> I, I I already am. Yeah. Do, uh, do you have a um, website, or, or is there um you know maybe if if people can go to, you know uh, if if there's something even on your school's website, just so they can check out, and if they have maybe. A, a question that they can ask you a question or something? Yeah, they can check me out um, on, on uh, Johnson University's website, my faculty page. It's got my CV up there with contact info. And um, I'm happy to, to, talk about, to, to talk about this stuff forever. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, my uh, Twitter handle is Joseph K. Gordon. If folks have questions for me, I'd, I'd love, to, uh, love to talk with them. So Great. All right, Joe. Well, thanks Thanks for being with us. This has been a stimulating discussion. I appreciate you taking your time, even with all your internet <laughs> problems that you had before you came here, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you, Joe. Well, thank you. Really good to be with both of you. Thanks for the opportunity to come and, and talk. Appreciate the time. Yeah. Thank you, guys. All right, Joe. Well, thanks again, folks, for listening to The Bible for Normal People. And also, we want to shout out to our team. Our team. For everything that they do here. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, so we have Dave Gerhart, our audio engineer, and Megan Kamek, our producer, Reed Lively, who does a, a primary administrator, does a lot of behind the scenes, is also our, our marketing wizard, as well as Stephanie Spate, who transcribes our podcast for us each and every week. We couldn't do it without you. Absolutely. Thanks, team, and thanks to all of you for listening. See ya. So we have Dave, our audio engineer, Megan Kamek, our producer, Reed, who is our administer, administrator extraordinary. Start over again, Jared, because he didn't do Dave's last name again. Oh my gosh, I didn't do maybe it it's Maybe it's for his own protection. Yeah. Exactly. Just start there again. Okay, here we go. Sweet Mary. Good. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. I don't intend to miss your last name, but I, yes, I, don't, I didn't write it down. He doesn't like you. I didn't write it down, okay? All right. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, okay. I thought you were going to say goodbye, too. Oh, You're good, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Feel free, Dave, to, to splice that in there. <laughs> anyway. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.